Greetings and welcome to your Afrofuturist podcast. My name is Ahmed Best. Honored that you could join us today. Today's guest is one of my favorite people in the world. He's one of my favorite artists. Um, he's someone that I've spent a lot of time with, working with as an artist, watching him work, reading his work. Um, and this is his return to the Afrofuturist podcast. Tim Fielder is a visual Afrofuturist. He's um, just a, a fantastic listener. He is a wonderful illustrator. He talks a lot about how his process as an artist, his process as a comic book artist, and his history has brought him to this new book, which is out right now called Infinitum, and who Infinitum is for. We talk about his experience creating Infinitum, why it was so important for him to make this book, what's coming next, what came before. We also talk about an experience that we both had together with UNESCO at the Future of Black America Summit and how his wonderfully unique way of listening and designing and drawing what is being talked about in the conversations that were talked about, how that really brought the uh, the the summit to life. I really appreciated it. I really appreciate him as a human being, as a person, his, his enthusiasm for what he does and his, and his affection for comic books, especially for me as a comic book lover. Um, you can feel it as soon as he starts speaking. He's just a wonderful, wonderful person to be around, fantastic storyteller and a great artist. So let's get to it. Without further ado, Mr. Tim Fielder. Tim Fielder, welcome back to the Afrofuturist podcast. I'm so, so incredibly excited and happy that you are here. We have a lot to catch up on. We have, to lot, we have a lot to talk about. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for being here, brother. And thank you, uh, Ahmed, and thanks to Lonnie. You guys are were, were really helped to break me uh, years ago. You were the, you for some reason lost y'all damn minds and decided, you know, let's interview this dude. <laughs> let's 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 have some fun. And that was really one of the first truly uh um uh it it, it was an interview that I was allowed to talk about me. Mm -hmm. One of the few times I'd ever been able to do it. And I thank you guys for that. You know, it's really, really our pleasure because um, your work is inspiring. Thank you. It's incredibly uh, forward thinking and, and increasingly just moving to see and to be able to imagine these worlds and, and, and be able to produce this work is just so incredibly special, especially with what we're trying to do with the Afrofuturism world. Um, I want to I want to drill down into infinitum. I want to drill down into what you're doing right now. But I do want to talk about a thing that we did together, which was um, the Future of uh, Black yeah. America Summit at, with mm -hmm. UNESCO. Oh, yes. And the thing that I loved about you being there was you were able to visualize and represent everything that we were talking about in that um in that seminar in that in that meeting in that think tank and i think that was really important because a lot of times in these in these situations when we're invited to speak about these things everything is very abstract right mm -hmm. we come up with these ideas and then we come out with you know possible ways of thinking and then that's right. it like that's right. all and right. nothing nothing gets done nothing gets changed and i thought that you listening and and drawing and and literally coming up with designs for the things that we were talking about was extremely helpful in right. solidifying the conversation right um what was that experience like for you and how has that um influenced you in any kind of way well firstly understand you're the actual first person other than claire nelson dr nelson yeah. was there she she interviewed me recently and we didn't talk that much about the seminar we did do a little bit of it but you're the first person to act me ask me overtly what did it mean mm -hmm. this is gonna sound really juvenile i made it feel like i, I was useful 
Word. Hmm. Do you know what I mean, man? Yeah. Imagine going for 35 years. You're good at what you do, but you're not useful. Hmm. People look at what you do and they, they just, um, they, 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 they use it to the, to the extent that they can to move what they're doing for it, which is ex- understandable. But I felt like I was drawing something that was bigger than myself. Mm-hmm. Like I can do what Gene Roddenberry did. Cause we were talking about where we gonna go. I, I can show you what it looked like. And, and sure, I'll, put in elements of horror, I'll put in elements of comedy, I'll put in elements of science fiction. You gotta have a little, at least a suggestion of a little bit of zombie apocalypse, but we gonna live. And I'm gonna show you how we gonna live. And you're gonna be there, Ahmed, and Avi's gonna be there, and I'm gonna be there, my kids are gonna be there, you know, your wife's gonna be there. You know, we gonna live and we gonna be happy. Yeah. And we'll suffer, but we gonna be happy. And I can show you what it looked like. It ain't theory with me. I can show you where the wheels are. I can show you where we travel to. I can show you where we siphon our water out of the atmosphere, where we grow our crops. That's what I have the ability to do as an Afrofuturist, as a visual Afrofuturist. Yeah, I mean, that's so incredibly powerful. And a lot of times I don't think that in these situations when we're asked to do these things i don't think that we invite enough artists to these forums right visual emotional behavioral um i think we 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 talk to a lot of like i'm sorry i'm sorry let me you are behavioral so no that i disagree with that that's what you did you were there yes Yes. So if you want to stick, keep it to the visual, fine. But no, no, no. The other stuff, that's you do that. So no, we get in, y'all get invited to that all the time. So you in there, your voice is in there. Yeah. I'm not gonna let you exclude yourself like that. You are part of the conversation. I'm sorry. Thank sorry. you. I, I appreciate you. I yeah, appreciate sorry. you. Um, but I think what I what what it was really impactful to me was this this ability to realize the mm-hmm. future. Mm-hmm. through your illustrations. You right. did one illustration that sticks with me to this day. Oh, really? And I, and I constantly think about this. We were talking about being, um, you know, a multi-planetary society. Ah. And you built this cube truck. Do you remember this? Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the cube truck was expandable. Like one yes. truck yes. expanded to multiple trucks. And then right. that truck built this water tower that siphoned um, right. siphoned oxygen into water. And I thought that was just one of the best representations of what a multi-planetary society should be. It right. was something that was so um, intricate and complex, yet simple in design, that if I showed my 12 my year old, like, what this is what it's like to be multi-planetary he'd be like oh yeah okay i get that and mm-hmm. i think that was that was so incredibly important and, and impactful because it was this thing that everyone could wrap their head around it was very tangible right. what was the inspiration like what made you think of that cube truck because i think about this all the time uh well y'all crazy and i'm crazy we were crazy together man it's not that <laughs> complex yeah it wasn't like there were absolutely insane ideas that were not discussed into like bloody corners, verbalized to some of the baddest scholars, academics, futurists, uh, performers, everybody was there. Mm-hmm. All I had to do, because the first day I didn't do so well, because I was literally trying to go through all the notes. Mm-hmm. And trying to draw that, but then I realized that direction laid madness. That was madness there because it was too much information. Right. What I had to do was stop reading and just let the audio play and let y'all talk. So y'all created that. All I did was gave it a visual. Yeah. um, I I recognize that you were doing, and this this is, I think, part of 
your magic in being this visual Afrofuturist. You are an, an amazing listener. And I was recognizing the fact that you were just really taking everything in. And I loved always like clicking back to you whenever everybody was talking, because it, it just looked like you were just taking everything in and letting your pencil right. talk, right? You were, letting, you were letting the artwork work. And um, you were just creating these just worlds through, through all this conversation. And, you know, one of the things that I dig about, you know, whether or not we're playing Afrorhythms, the game or Afrofuturist podcast, we're talking to the, talking to people who take an idea and realize that idea. Was that always something that you did? Was that always something that you wanted to do? Just take these ideas and realize these ideas. Yes, but you know, that's the burden of the visual Afrofuturists, particularly the visual Afrofuturists that deal in sequential stories. Mm-hmm. Because you're not just designing a fictionalized reality, you're de- designing a fictionalized reality which will contain us within it, which is not a traditional thing, at least within the visual sc- scope of things. There are, we, we have a long established tradition of prose-based Afrofuturism. Right. Thank right. God. I wouldn't be doing what I was doing without that. But the visual thing of which you're that too, that's so hard to do because the, the weight is so, uh, oh my God, it's so, it, we haven't even allowed ourselves to do it. Yeah. And to do that, the burden of the visual Afrofuturist is about taking the chances and sometimes you'll fall. That, you know what I mean? Yes. I had 35 years of failure. I have an entire gallery show where 90% of the work has never been seen. And yeah, that's hard. But we do it because we're compelled to do it. And who else is going to do it? You know, who else yeah. is going to do it? I, I I don't really know how to do anything else. I think my career can show that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I tried to do that animation bad. I was bad at it. I was good as a designer. I could design concepts because that's what I do. I'm a concept designer. Ralph McQuarrie, you know, Doug Shang, all those guys. You know, I, that was me. That's what I wanted to do. Ron Cobb, Sid Mead, I was that. But you know, when you bring race into it, yeah, that's when it's a bugger. That's when it's a bugger. Because the rub is that you're trying to balance our legacy as Black people, as people of color, but to reconcile it with the the fantasy of the future to the actual reality of the future. And that's that's hard. That's hard. That's hard. And we 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 can stumble, but that's hard. It's very, very hard. Now, guess what? Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. But we were put on this planet to do that. I know I was because it's the only thing I ever been successful at. Right. It's the only thing. Well, maybe I was okay, dad, fair dad, <laughs> you know, at least to, to some of my kids, yeah. <laughs> you know, but at the end of the day, man, uh, I, I had to work to get here. Yes. I think we can agree it was not an overnight success, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it was the longest night, <laughs> the long, you know, the, 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 the night of decades, <laughs> you know, but, uh, I mean, damn, I mean, what do you want me to tell you? It's like, and I've said it before, but I'll, I'll perhaps say it a little bit differently. And I, I'd use the Jurassic Park example. And I've said this before in interviews, but I, I'll say it again, because it, it, it's important. We're anthropologists. Yeah. But we don't have all the pieces. So all we can do is pull pieces from our history and put it in there and hope it works. And sometimes it does, sometimes it does. But that's because we don't have that privilege. 
of just, we can make stuff up, but it still has to fall within the context of the black experience. Mm. You understand? It still has to ring true. And unfortunately, our people are the more brutal when it comes to that. That's why, you know, you see that hook on the stage of the Apollo. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, if it don't work, they'll let you know, right? But that's, what a privilege, man. We yeah. were chosen. We were yeah, chosen. absolutely. I want to, I would love to drill down a little bit into the world okay. building aspect of what you do, okay. right? Right. So mm -hmm. when you're coming up with concepts and you're trying mm -hmm. to build out these worlds, where do you start? Do you start with an inspiration? Is there a story that you have in mind? Is there a, his, a, a is there historical um, uh, historical documents or anything of history that you want right. to investigate? Do you come at it through like this right. investigative kind of position? Like how how do you start? Okay, so I'll use infinitum as an example, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes the images come in words, like the technical process I could explain. I'm like, well, you start with a sentence. And then you start with a, I'm sorry, that was, let me turn that volume down there. Mm -hmm. uh, you start with a sentence. And then you start with a, you start with a, um, another sentence. And then you, you explain what happens first, what happens second, what happens third. And you keep going through that. But then sometimes the visuals come, sometimes they don't. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. Okay. Now, here's the other thing. Uh, I think that uh, when it comes to what I'm doing, sometimes I'll start with a concept. And I'll explain to you the concept behind infinitum. And I want you to take this personally, but it's probably good that you'll hear this. Yes. I wanted a man that looked like you. I wanted a hero that looked like you. He had dark skin, broad nose, big lips. Mm -hmm. And I wanted him to be an absolute badass. So my editors at points were like, why is he killed like that? Well, he's a warlord. Right. That's why he does it. His occupation, like Rambo. See, nobody questioned whether or not Rambo was a warlord, right? He's just, he's a warrior. That's what Obai is. So throughout the entire story, up until the point where he literally transforms, that's what he is, a warrior. So I wanted him to look like you. Hmm. Like you, right? Then I wanted him to be smart. Right? Yeah. Capable of failure, but able to strive towards redemption, right? And then I wanted him to live in the past, but I was going to have him keep living. Mm. Unlike the brother who died at the end of Night in the Living Dead. Right. And I was going to have him have multiple families and have lovers, unlike Lando Calrissian had in Star Wars. There it is. And I wanted him to keep living unlike Ernie Hudson did at the end of Leviathan when he was killed just before the credits rolled. Mm -hmm. And then I wanted on and on and on. And this Negro was gonna live. I didn't care what happened. I'm tired of us dying on screen. I'm tired of us being bit players, side characters. I'm tired of all that. But I want us to be in those big things as big as anything Kurosawa ever did. It's like, Ron, you got that big war epic? We're going to have that guy down there looking like you. He's going to live. And he's going to rule armies and rule kingdoms. And he will be malevolent, some, malevolent sometimes. And he will be benevolent sometimes. Yeah. So he's going to live. And his woman, who is just as powerful as he is, is going to live. Because we deserve to live and have epic storylines just like anybody else on this globe. So... That was a more spiritual way of saying that was the impetus behind infinitum. I'm tired of seeing people of color die mm -hmm. and be relegated to secondary and tertiary figures within our 
are speculative fiction. Now, you mentioned something really quick that I want to actually kind of go back to. You talking sure. about um, your editors asking you questions about yeah. why does this character have to do this? Why does this character do that? Sure. And, you know, this is something that as as creative people, as people who build worlds, we come up against a sure. lot, right? We come up against the idea of us yep. um, and the gatekeepers who have an idea of us and want to sure. perpetuate mm -hmm. that idea. Sure. How do you stick to your guns? Uh, you'd be a jerk. Hmm. A nice jerk. That's what you have to do. Uh, I, I was fortunate. I had an editor that s s tried her best to step in and step out at points. And in the end, at the end of the day, she was able to acquiesce on her suggestions. Because if you tell me, if you give me a word, you say apple, my brain automatically is gonna see an apple. So if you say, well, you know what? In this particular version, Oba does not, we don't know what he's saying. We don't know, we see what he's doing, but we don't know how he feels inside, right? And I'm saying, are you saying that we need a first person narrative? I'm saying we need to know what he's thinking. I'm like, are you sure? Because you might not like what he's thinking when he's killing that guy on that bed, breaking every bone in his body, right? right? But that tension created the book we have before us and it made it a complex, multi-layered play. And I'm just talking about what was happening with the narrative and the words. I am happy to report visually, they let me go off. They basically got out of my way, which was weird. Yeah. Why, why was <laughs> that, that weird? Was weird? I'm like, what? Are you? you know, and, and I think they knew why, because it was like, if there were changes being asked to be made to it narratively, but I had already put 20 fully painted pages that killed me, you know, my arms were about to fall off, literally, then we're going to have to fight on that. I can't. Cause I can't do, I don't have it in me. My body can't do it anymore. Right. You know what I mean? But so infinitum is the sum total of a number of intricate choices. Like black folks. Yeah. Do you give yourself rules of the world when you start writing these things, when you start coming up with these, these, characters, these universes and their situations, do the rules change as you're doing it? Or are you just like, all right, this is what Oba can do. This is where this, this is where, how, how far he goes. This is, he doesn't go past this. This is where, you know, our world is, it doesn't get bigger than it. Do you give yourself rules or do you allow the story to like unfold? It fluctuates back and forth. I tend to like have having rules. Because if you have rules, then uh, you you embed in your storyline plausibility, and that is necessary for the audience. It's something my late godmother used to tell me, Maude Myrna Bain, God rest her soul. She said, Timmy, whatever you do, you can have any, it could be the most outlandish idea, whatever you want to create. However, whatever you create, you must embed within the storyline something of familiarity mm. that the audience can grab onto. She said, if you can give the audience that, right? Star Wars, right? There's no inertia like that. They don't fly like regular planes in real space, right. but in Star Wars, they act like planes, right? Yes. But we can relate to the characters. So we'll give a pass to the storyline. That's just a simple narrative, narrative trick that's been used since the beginning of time on cave walls. So you're embedding, embedding visual rules, behavioral rules, and narrative rules. And you have to follow them because sometimes if you break them, you can break them, but you can't break them too far. Or sometimes you can break them, but you got to get back in line real quick. And it's very much sleight of hand. 
And that fluctuates from story to story. Like I can tell you the difference between Maddie's Rocket and Infinitum Maddie's Rocket is there won't be any beheadings mm-hmm. <laughs> in Maddie's Rocket because it ain't that kind of story, right? So right. when you're asking what are the rules, the rules are I do want some brutality in Maddie's Rocket. I do want to deal with very uncomfortable issues of race, right? But I always want there to be an undercore of goodness and kindness Mm. and an aspiration to that. Because Maddie's Rocket is for uh, many of those black women who, who raised us and they were, and I've said this before, and so again, it bears repeating again, they, many black women who were able to, who were the matriarchs of their family, when it wasn't safe to do so, but they always kept a sense of elegance and glamor about themselves, hmm. which is a, that's a hell of a trick to do. And that's a trend that goes on to this day within many black families. And I wanted to pay homage to my grandmother, my godmother, and all those, my mom, you know. But infinitum, that's about us, man. That's about the brothers, our yeah, feelings. Yeah. And, you know, we mess it up. And then we have to spend sometimes a lifetime trying to clean up the mistakes we make. Yeah, I hear that. What did making infinitum teach you about yourself? Ooh, geez. Uh, Maddie's rocket taught me that I could finish and do it well. Infinitum, ah, man, it's just, God. I am not, okay, that works on two levels. I have proven to myself that I can do the type of epic that I imagined I could do. Whether someone else thinks it good, it's good or not, I'll leave that to them. But for me, I know what I did. I created an epic. And I hope that when you read it, that you saw a little bit of yourself in it. So mm-hmm. when I said to you specifically, he looked like you, I meant that. Mm-hmm. He looked like me, he looked like you, right? That's the first thing. So on the other level, which is is dicey, but this, here we are, you know, how better to say it than on the Afrofuturist podcast. (laughs) We're in something. We're in something. We're in a movement. It is a zeitgeist. We are in it. We are part of it. You're playing your part, I'm playing my part. They're NGOs, governmental systems. And how do we know we were there? You know, we're not making it up, we were there. You know, there are cultural institutions that are forming around it. There are people who are presently cataloging these things. You work with one of them. Your podcast is a, it's an archiving of it. This is oral. Oral history is what you're doing. I get what it is. We call it a podcast, but come on, let's be frank. We know what it is. That's right. Now, I've gone so long doing this stuff, I didn't know where I fit. I didn't know where I fit. I was like, you know, I do this stuff, but, you know, but then over the last five years, you know, I did it with Maddie, but that wasn't anything, and I'm so grateful to have been a part of that. But we, you know, visual Afrofuturism hadn't broke, broke. I mean, Black Panther broke it, but I mean, like in publishing, it's kind of sort of been there. But with a big five, no. Mm-hmm. So Infinitum is the first Afrofuturist graphic novel published by a big five publisher. And certainly the first one published by a major with an original storyline. Wow. And I say that because I'm going to claim that. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, oh, man. So I was on a Microsoft commercial, you know, Friday. And then another one came out late last night, early today, and it featured me. And I was talking with one of my friends, uh, Yutasha Womack. And I was telling her, uh, well, you know, it's just interesting. 
I said, uh, what I find, you know, I, I'd read uh, uh, Julian Chambliss, who's a professor at MSU, uh, uh, Michigan State University, really significant Afrofuturist studies program, cartooning, colleagues with all of us, right? Mm -hmm. And he had said he was proud to see me on this Microsoft commercial because it was part of the Afrofuturist moment. That's what he said. And that caught me, I, what, what does he mean? I was in a commercial, what does he mean? And I thought about it and I said, has there ever been an acknowledgement of a proclaimed Afrofuturist, right? That I, I am an Afrofuturist. I do black science fiction. That has been presented within the context of a multinational tech corporation. Has that ever happened? I, I don't think that it has, no. And that's what I thought. And I hadn't, you know, I was just glad to get the Microsoft commercial because, and I'm just saying this because I'm trying to promote my book. And yeah. I'm thinking, man, I need to, you know, you know, I got to do, you know, I man, Avi, can I come on your podcast? Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, when, when, what, you know, I, I've never used Apple uh, scheduling this much in my entire life, right? <laughs> because you have to do it. Yeah. You know, HarperCollins, hey, Tim, uh, Syosset Library, they want to know if you're available at this time. Because Yes, yes, I can do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you have to, because yeah. that's the game we're in. But then when you take a step back and that's viewed from somebody else's perspective, and then I go, oh my God. It's like I was looking at Nichelle Nichols the other day. I was looking at a video, I posted it on my Facebook page. Yeah. And I was like, she's our North Star. She had quit Star Trek. Yes. She put her resignation papers to Gene Roddenberry. said, Gene, I can't do this. I gotta go to Broadway, man. I'm yeah. obviously paraphrasing, she ain't country like me, right? <laughs> And she leaves for the weekend and she goes to a party and the guy comes over for the, uh, 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 one of the, the, the uh, uh, organizations for, uh, for, for people of color, I forget which one. And that person came up to her and said, look, your biggest fan would like to, fit, you know, to meet you. And she said, sure, just thinking. And, and to listen to her review, she said she looked up and she saw Martin Luther King walked towards. She said to herself, "Oh, I feel so bad for the guy who was the biggest fan because obviously that's not Martin Luther King." And it turns out it was. And as he's saying, "You mean so much to us. It's the only thing I let my kids stay up and watch, hmm. and it's so important." And she goes, "Oh, I'm sorry, I can't do that anymore. I left that job." And he snapped and said, "Oh no, you, you can't do that. You can't do that." You can't do that. You you must understand this is bigger than you. There are these, there are people who are seeing this. It's going to change everything. You must not leave because if you leave, they can put somebody green, alien. They don't have to put another brother or sister in it. And for that, it was important because it was a black woman. That's right. That was radical. Is Gene Roddenberry an Afrofuturist? Probably not. Nichelle Nichols? Absolutely just like Ahmed Best, just like Levar Burton, just like Whoopi Goldberg, just like Herb Jefferson, and on and on and on. Now. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I, um, I recognize the, 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 and it's not a weight, Oh, it's a little weight, but that's because I'm out of shape. I gotta do, I'll talk to you after show. I gotta get in shape, man. I gotta do better, man. I gotta do better. Because I gotta do better. I gotta do better. So I, I you you the man, you're in shape, you know. I gotta talk to you, right? I need help. But other than that, I am clear of the significance of what I am doing. I know what it means. I could not have done this as a younger man. I wouldn't have been able to process the information. But now as a 54-year-old man, I can. And I'm okay with that. I'm good with it. And I'm good with it being me. That's beautiful. Um, I'm good with it being you as well. Thank you, sir. <clears throat> um, because I think this work is phenomenal. And, you know, 
Lonnie and I talk about this all the time when we're playing Afrorhythms or we're in a right. when we're talking about, you know, just what Afrofuturism is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we always drill down on this point that creating these alternative futures mm-hmm. uh, creates the neuroplasticity in the brain to help you heal. That's right. That's right. right. And Michelle Nichols was our healing That's at right. that time when she was on Star Trek. That's right. Right. She put it in our brains that we belong up there in space, right? And without her, there's no May Jemison. That's right. Without her, there's no May Jemison. And I met Nichelle Nichols. We we did a we did a show together one time about black people in sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those she's very regal, Nichelle Nichols. Oh, absolutely. Um uh she's 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 extremely, extremely regal when she's in the room. Um, and you know, I I believe we all kind of like treated her like the queen, like as soon as she oh, walked she is. in, she is. <laughs> you know, it was like it, we all parted and was just like, you know, Madam Nichols. Um, but I kind of gushed. I was just like, you know, if it wasn't for you, I didn't believe that I, yes. I wouldn't believe that I would be here and, and do this. And I didn't understand like neuroplasticity, mm-hmm. but I, I, I recognize that she healed a lot of black America yes. when we saw her on that screen every week right. in space, boldly going, right? Mm-hmm. What type of healing do you want us to, to, to feel from infinitum? And I know you're talking about, you know, this brutal warlord, but, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm the complexity mm-hmm. in the character and the characters in mm-hmm. the book mm-hmm. are so um, palpable, they're emotional, mm-hmm. they're relatable, right? So you are engaging in this neuroplasticity and this healing, right? You know, what is the healing that you are trying to put out there for us black folks to, okay. to feel when we when we read infinitum? All right, now, this is the first time I've ever been asked like this. So I don't know if it's going to be the most uplifting answer, but I will do the best I can. So uh, I collect graphic novels. I don't know if you can see video of me, but I have a whole line of books behind me. Mm -hmm. And one of the books that basically altered the way I perceived what comics could be was a book called Empire. Yes. Painted by Samuel R. Delaney. Mm-hmm. I mean, painted by Howard Chaikin, written by Samuel R. Delaney. And I remember seeing this book. It was 79. It was fully painted. I was like, oh my God. Because, you know, I was familiar with Chaikin from Star Reach and Cody Starbuck and, you know, all that stuff. And he did these painted graphic novels, Swords of Heavens, Flowers of Hell, the whole thing. He did it, you know. And he did this book with Samuel Delaney. And it let me know that comics didn't have to be juvenile. That was that the, the work that Will Eisner did. It didn't just have to be superheroes. Nah, superheroes are cool. Look, anybody who says who's a comic book artist said they won't draw Superman and Spider-Man, they're lying to you. Right. Everyone <laughs> wants to draw. I, if you went to Chris Ware, who is like Mr. Intellectual Cerebral Cartoonist, you know, he wins awards and that, and you said, Look, man, I want you to draw one issue of Spider-Man. I guarantee you, if he was paid the appropriate amount of money, he'd do it just to get it out of his system. So let's get that out of the way. Right. But there's a difference between space opera and hard science fiction. And hard science fiction tends not to feature very many people of color. That's right. Not hard science. It says, you know, space opera, yeah, but hard science fiction, where you're dealing with dense, dense, complex social issues, that's when it gets hard. Because then we're in there, they tend to kill us off. So I wasn't looking for anything uplifting. What I was looking for was the survival of a man of color in the most dense, complex cluster, can't use the other end of that, over the span of time. I look at something like 2001, which is one of the great epics Mm -hmm. 
and there are no people of color in that thing. I look at Solaris, the original. Yeah. There are no people of color in that thing. Those are the like the epics, forbidden planet. There are no people of color. Right? That's right. Right? But we get to the remake of Solaris. This is why I love Soderbergh, right? Oh, Viola Davis shines, right? Absolutely. So I wanted to do an epic that we would survive. We would not be at our best. We would be at our best. We would succeed. We would fall. We'd get back up and we repeat the cycle over and over again. I wanted us to be treated with the same level of tragedy as any other white character. In a hard science fiction, I wanted us to be the center of the story. That's what I wanted. So, sorry, Maddie, uh, Maddie's rocket is uplifting, guys. Now, I'm not a total downer. I'm not a total downer. But Infinitum, <laughs> I want that for grown folk. Yeah. That's for grown folk. Yeah, and I appreciate the complexity in that because, mm-hmm. as you're saying, and like, we're not imagined as complex characters, especially That's in, exactly in, in hard right. science fiction. Thank you. You know, we're, we're, we're not written that way. We're not imagined that way. And that's why we don't survive in those stories, right? Because if we are complex, they got to kill us. Exactly, right? right. We, they, they have to get rid of us. And a lot of it is because from the lens, the, the, the European centralized lens, that's right. they don't know anything about us, right? We know right. everything, everything about their stories. They know very little about us our parables, our religions, you know, people of African descent in the African diaspora and how rich those stories are, you know, what are some of those ideas that you put in infinitum? Like, what are those tenets? Like, what, what can we look for when we read this book at, that we can recognize that we, we right. like, what, what, what is it in the, in, in the African storytelling or the African diasporic storytelling tradition that we can find? Um, this is going to sound very trite. Uh, it, it wasn't as sophisticated as that. Mm-hmm. Man, wouldn't it have been cool if someone had made a movie of Charles Saunders' work before he passed away? Yep. Who just passed away. He yep. did MRO, Black Barbarian. Okay, we didn't do that graphic now. But don't worry, Charles, I'll take care of it. I'll do it. And you'll never know. He never saw it. He never saw it. He died. Nobody knew he was dead for about three, four months. Hmm. Don't worry, I'll, I'll do it. Don't worry, I'll take care of it. Right? Right? Chip Delaney, I know Chip thinks I'm weird. He is correct, I am weird. <laughs> but you know what? You know, I I know I can't do Lord Von Ray, but don't worry, I'm gonna do his character, you know, out of Nova, that brother who changed my life. Don't worry, I'll do another black character that's like Lord, right? And and don't worry, I, I'll, I'll take care of it. I take care of it, you know? I, I want a woman, multiple women that he is in love with over time, but I don't want them to look like a specific type. Sometimes I want it to be dark complexion, sometimes short, sometimes tall, sometimes big hips, sometimes thin waist. I want the variety of all as much blackness as I can get. That's what infinitum is. Hmm. That's what it is. Now, Hannibal, man, wouldn't it be cool to see that movie? Wouldn't yes. it be cool to see Hannibal kick? But we can't make that movie. So don't worry, I mean, I'll take care of it. I'm on, I can only do like four images because I got a lot of that territory, but don't worry, I'm gonna show you what that movie would look like. Yeah, it's gonna be hot, right? I don't know if they use a Vin Diesel in it, but don't worry, he gonna look hot in this movie. So I wish I could tell you it was some dense, complex need to mine the depths of history. I just want to see us be glamorous, man. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, you know, to be honest, your experience is all you need, really. You know what I'm saying? Well, like, you know what I mean, but that's all, trust me, I had to do a deep dive in books. I did. And that hurt. <laughs> that hurt a lot. <laughs> I had to ask a lot of questions. Like I was talking with a friend the other day and she was uh, pointing. Well, I was interviewed on one of the Harper podcasts. They were pointing out how I had used a uh, Clotilda, which is the last documented slave ship, mm-hmm. 
I use it in infinitum. She said, well, it's amazing that I was there. I said, yeah, but what you don't know, which you can never know, but I want you to feel that it was there, that I'm friends with Valerie Boyd, who is the foremost scholar of Zora Neale Hurston, who wrote Barracoon, mm -hmm. right? Which just came out from Harper, right? And I had to ask Val, I'm seeing different spellings for this name, Clotilde. What, 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 what is it? And she gave me that information. And I was able to take that and embed the unseen greebly, the greebly, the, the, the kit bashing that you don't know why it's there. You don't know what it is, but you feel it. That's, that's my job as a visual Afrofuturist, to embed even things that are beyond my understanding. Does that make sense what I'm saying? I do, yes. Absolutely, absolutely. And it comes through, you know, you Thank feel you. it. You feel it when you, when you look at the images. And you know, it's one of those things that I, I love as a filmmaker, you know, I can show you. I don't have yes. to just, I don't have to explain it. I can show you, I can, I can. The I can, visual Afrofuturist dude. Yeah, I can give you the visuals so you can understand and you can feel it. Um, how did you stick to this for as long as you have, man? What what Ooh. was that? What was that drive? Because you know there are so many times, especially in, in what we do, where we just want to go. You know what? I'ma just move somewhere and like shuck peas for the rest of my life. What made you? What is that thing that keeps you going? That makes you want to keep doing this? Like what's moving you to? make Maddie's Rocket wow. and beyond. Yeah, you know, that's interesting that, that yeah, yeah, I mean, you can stop, man. You're asking these questions like that. So, <laughs> I, God, man, if, if I'll try to be as, because it's complex, but I'll try to boil it down. First of all, you know, you're familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk? Mm -hmm, of course. Yeah. So Gary Vaynerchuk says, and I know he'll be like, how did I end up in an Afrofuturist podcast? It's like, because Afrofuturists listen to you as well, man. Yeah. But he has this thing that instead of trying to do a bunch of different things, triple down on the thing you do well. Mm -hmm. Right? And I, I kind of like knew it before then, but I knew I had reached a point when I was in my 30s, I had issues, you know, which I won't even go into because they're not important right now. But that's what I'm good at. Yeah. And it's only when I do things that I'm good at that there's very often any chance for success. So I have to assess what am I good at? All right. So I'm good at I can draw. When I, when I focus, I can draw. When I focus, I can tell good stories, but I got to focus because the moment I lose focus, it falls apart. I can talk noise with the best of them, right? That's because of A.J. Fielder, my dad, right? He is a big talker. So mm -hmm. notice how I went, he is a big talker. He's a big talker, right? Because mm -hmm. he is from the church, right? He became a heathen as, a, uh, as an adult, but he was raised in the church. So you get that, right? So I talk lectured for 29 years seemed to can't get away from it i'm still teaching to this day right uh and so those are the three things i do well so i can draw and make stories and i can talk about them now if i know that's what i do well the moment i move away from that it's when the percentage for failure increases mm -hmm. the more i double down on that the percentage for success increases. It's very simple. I, unfortunately, I didn't find this out till I was in my 40s. <laughs> right, right, right. Because no one pulled me to the side and said that. Right. Because, you know, it's like I use Denzel Washington all the time as an example. I said, when you look at the filmography of Denzel Washington's work, you can see he was very meticulous about deciding what role he would play every time out he had to balance okay this role is going to stretch me as an actor 
but it's also gonna allow me to maintain my persona and my image, which will get me to the next job. And then that will get me to the next job. I didn't do that. Cause I was like, yeah, 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 it was crazy. And I was just going from one experience to the next, assuming that someone would find me. Right. Oh, I'm good enough with someone to find you. Like nobody's gonna find you. And you can't just jump from one project to the next without finishing. And it's not enough to finish the physical object. You have to finish the physical object and deliver it to market. Mm -hmm. So all of these to say that I was compelled to do visual Afrofuturism, although we didn't call it that uh, uh, prior to 1993, we just called it black sci-fi, right? Yeah. Yep. And it's what I'm good at, but more importantly, it was, it was some tough years. <laughs> <laughs> it was some tough kids, but it was something, uh, uh, I'll say this. I remember my twin brother and I, Jim, we, uh, it, this was in the mid nineties. And at that time they had just released a product. I know you're like, where is he going with this? Right. Uh, they released a product called the perception video recorder, mm -hmm. which was a card that you would put into a computer. And it was a nonlinear based editor, non-destructive nonlinear based editor. Right. We know all about that because the person who created that was George Lucas with Jetty, not only your editor, right? Now, while we were there, Jim wanted to buy a lens from a gentleman who owned a facility in Midtown Manhattan. And he went to the guy and he was like, yeah, I just want to take a look, uh, look at your lens. And the guy was like, yeah, but he kept trying to sell Jim an analog flatbed editor where you would physically cut film with a razor blade on a slot. It was a huge, huge monster of none, of, of a, a flatbed editor, huge. You, you know, it fell on somebody, it would explode, it was so big. And he kept trying to sell Jim this nonlinear editor. And I remember looking at this guy's face and I remember thinking to myself, he's totally desperate. Because what has happened is the ground has shifted beneath his feet and he is stuck with an entire warehouse of obsolete equipment. Now, there's the other flip side. Sometimes, and it hurts, really hurts, you can be about 35 years ahead of the game. And it sucks. <laughs> Royally sucks. Right? Yeah. And you think, well, you know, let me, you know, John Jennings and Stacey Robinson came over to my house. I was doing animation of Maddie's Rocket and they looked at my portfolio. I'll never forget. Stacey said it and scared the hell out of me. He said, well, the first thing that needs to happen just needs to be published. And I went, oh, because he he had found that chink in my armor because I left commas. I was out for 15 years, man. I mean, I was in animation. I learned how to do it, but I didn't particularly, you know. I didn't do good at it. I couldn't even get picked up by Blue Sky Studios, even though I tried, tried for three times. It was terrible. I was embarrassed, humiliated, right? Yeah. But guess what happened? The world shift kept shifting. So now I learned to finish and to deliver. Maddie taught me that in floppy form, in graphic novel form. And then, oh, thank God. Ryan Kugler saved and liberated us all. Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> right. Thank you. Thank you, Bob Iger. Thank you. Right. Yeah. And the next yeah. thing you know, the world has shifted. So now I you have to understand, yeah. I am an Afrofuturist that couldn't buy attention. Here I am, 35 years later, talking about my life on the freaking Afrofuturist podcast, man. This has been a day. This has been quite a day. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. has been a day. So the world has shifted beneath my feet. I found that it's important to keep going, even when you don't want to. Take frequent breaks, but get up, dust yourself off, right? Because no one else is going to do it. No one else is going to say, hey, Tim. You're tired. Don't worry, I'll do the work for you. No, nobody's going to do that for you. You got to do that. You've got to do the work, right? And then you got to make sure you finish the work. And nobody's going to say it's going to be easy. It's going to be hard. You, it's going to suck. But when you finish that work and you deliver to market, right, 
Then the work goes out into the land, pass beyond people you know, and it generates opportunity. That is where it's at. It just so happens now, hey, Afrofuturism is in, thank God. <laughs> and now I'm in a Microsoft commercial, sci-fi.com just released their slamming review, uh, smashpages.com just you know, the interview and that, and now I'm on the Afrofuturist podcast. I couldn't have written that script any better, man. Right. And it's only because I kept working, I did not stop, or let's say I stopped frequently, but I got back up and I kept working and I finished and I recognized that, oh, I'm good at this, this thing. And I tripled down on it. And that's the only reason I'm here. That's fantastic. That's such a beautiful, beautiful way of giving that inspiration out there to folks, you know, cause that's so, it's so needed. There's a lot of artists out there who want to do what you're doing. And they're looking at you going, well, Tim Fielder, I don't know, man. He's kind of great. He has infinitum, he's mad, he's rocking, he's spent comics, blah, 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 blah. I, I don't know if I could do that, right? What do you say to them? Well, this is what you can do. You can do what I did. So you got ramen noodle, right? Ramen noodles, they, they have different flavors. They got the blue pack, they got the orange pack, they got the yellow pack, and they got the red pack. I don't mess with the red pack because that's the beef, right? Yeah. I can deal with the chicken and the oriental, right? But here's the key. When you boil the noodles, you can't boil them too much because they get mushy. You have to put them in and leave them in for like a minute. So they're just tender enough. And when you put the sodium on there, you actually don't put the sodium in the water because it has too much sodium in there. You take it out, you strain it, you put it in the bowl, and you sprinkle it. And then you stir it up, right? Yeah. Now, you might say, what in the world does ramen noodles have to do with what I'm talking about? I'm saying anyone who thinks that I have not suffered and busted my behind and that somehow the price of entry into this is just done with ease or you'll be saved by your beauty or your flat stomach, which I don't have, don't worry, I need your help with that when we get off this thing, right? That, that's a, that's a fantasy, that's not real. This is hard work, all of it's hard work. All of it's hard work. And because you know it's hard work, then pace yourself, baby, yeah. right? Yeah. Slow and steady wins the race every time. Amen. That's right. What's the future? How do you see Tim Fielder in the next 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25 well, years? Hopefully alive. That's the first thing. Working on that. I got to work on my health. And, and, and you know, I'm kind of joking, but I, it's because I'm scared because I've really been exhausted lately because mm. I've done so much media because this is the first time out and I don't know if everybody knew what they had. Right? Right. So you know how it is when you don't know what you have, when nobody knows what you have, the way to make it work is you have to, you have to pull um, a Ripley, a Hicks. What's the only way to get rid of the aliens, man? Yeah. Nuke them from, from orbit. space. Yeah. Nuke them from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Right. So that meant that I couldn't necessarily depend all the time on Harper Collins to hunt down that journalist. Not because they won't do it, because they don't know it, and it's a new thing. Who do you talk to about this, right? So I had to, oh Lord, my eyes are dreary. Oh Lord, let's see, okay, here's this public, ah, this person wrote an article that maybe is interested in what I'm doing. Let me just email him, Rob Sokowitz. Yo man, can you write me an article? This is what I'm doing, my book's coming out. Could you write it for Forbes? Oh, can't write it for Forbes, but I can write it for IVC2 or whatever it is. One of the baddest reviews I've ever seen in my life. It was amazing, right? He was like, and you know, and I know people talk about the white gaze, but whatever, right? He said, check it out. He said, I remember the line. It said, the story of Infinitum is innovative. But where Fielder truly shines is in the visuals. 
It's like a Afrofuturist Alex Ross, and I damn near wow. died, man. Wow. Because I was like, I did not pay him to say that. <laughs> I don't have the money to pay him to say that. And I love Alex Ross, man. This mm -hmm. guy, is the, he's great. To even be considered to be in the same level as that guy. But as always saying that I'm an Afrofuturist, man, what more can you ask for? Yeah. So I had to hunt him down. I had to hunt uh, this sci-fi article, young brother. I pitched to him. Hey, man, you know, my book's coming out. Send it to him. He loved it. Review just hit today. Great. Right? So it's that hard work that you have to do behind the scenes. There's no escape from it. You have to do it. It has to be done. Has to be done. And that is what I can convey to anyone. It's all hard work. Something a, a friend's a former wife told me back in the 80s, uh, I was doing a story for this magazine, uh, East Village magazine called uh, Between C and D. Mm -hmm. And I was doing uh, one of the first and probably only uh, one of the few first Afropunk comics back in 1988 called Lizard Puke. And uh, I had done the first part of it but I had to do the second part of it that fit on the back cover and I wasn't getting it done and the lady came up to me I said I'm just I don't know why I'm doing she said you're trying to avoid the pain mm. she said you tried you're trying to avoid pain see you're a dancer you know all about that mm -hmm. what I assumed that doing art was not athletics producing art is athletics because it's physical. That's right. But they don't tell you that. Now I know. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah. Well, um, every time I go to your website, oh, really? Thank I you. see this image of you flying across the screen. Yes. And if that's not art as athletics, I don't know what is. Because I picture you. Right. Tim Fielder right. as this incredible Afrofuturist visual storyteller that is just flying higher and higher with Thank each you. thing you do. Um, Infinitum is absolutely stunning. Thank I you. know Maddie's rocket is going to be great. Um, and She's next. Matt is next. I know. And we we and then you and I are gonna have to have a conversation because yeah. we got right. we gotta talk. Okay. Um tell everybody where they can find you, where right. they can get your book, and how do they keep up with everything Tim Fielder? Okay. All right. So let me start with everything Tim Fielder. Uh uh uh, uh you can go to Timfielder.com. That's like outfielder uh, or right fielder, just drop the out in the right, and you got it. Timfielder.com. I can be found on www.dieselfunk.com, Twitter, at Dieselfunk, Instagram, at Dieselfunk, Facebook, at Dieselfunk. Everything's Dieselfunk, right? That's very simple. Thank God. All right, now, uh, Infinitum can be found, um, and, I, and you have to let me say this a little bit, it can be found where all fine books are sold. Nice. That's so crazy, man. <laughs> that is so crazy. It's like, where can you find it? You can, you can find it everywhere. It's, it's everywhere. Is it Barnes and Nobles, Amazon, Bookshop.org? You can find it on the HarperCollins website where they sell it like five dollars cheaper. You can find, you can find Infinitum on eBay, man. I see people selling it. I'm like, whoa! You can find Infinitum on Target, Walmart, man. It's everywhere. And that is so liberating. We're in a moment, dude. Yeah. We're in a moment. That's fantastic. Think about it. You can find Afrofuturism at Walmart. <laughs> I'm real. It's amazing. That's crazy, man. It's yeah, crazy. That, that is definitely a moment. That is definitely That's a moment. a moment. Well, Tim, it's always great to see you. It's always great to talk to you. I always feel energized. Um, I love everything that you're doing as always as a kid growing up as a comic book fan, um, always wanting to see myself between those covers of those fantastic comic books. And 
I can finally see it now through your work. And I can't thank you enough. I really can't. It really is the inspiration that all young um, comic book lovers of color who are my age, we've all dreamed of. And now like all young comic book lovers who are my son's age can now grow up with and have this pride in who they are. And I appreciate you. I thank you. And it's a pleasure to talk to you as always. Wow, thank you, man. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. You know, I'm gonna say this. I know you were trying to end there. Y'all didn't have to let me on here. <laughs> no, no. You didn't have to let me on here. You didn't have to let me on two years ago. You didn't have to do that. But I believe in the great and wise Keanu Reeves. He said, man, it could all end tomorrow. Right. It could all end tomorrow. So every moment I'm grateful. And I, I, I know I maybe, you know, float between humility and a little vanity. I'm, I'm human, but I'm so grateful. And I thank you. And I thank Avi. Thank you so much. Thank you, brother. Thank you for listening to the Afrofuturist podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. If you'd like to be a sponsor of the show, Please contact me at Ahmed Best at theafrofuturistpodcast.com or at Ahmed Best on Twitter. If you have any ideas of any great guests that we would like to talk to on the Afrofuturist Podcast, please contact me again at Ahmed Best at theafrofuturistpodcast.com or contact me on Twitter at Ahmed Best. Thank you all for listening again, and I'll see you next time.